Welcome to the Center Porch. This is Mark Schaffner. Grab a seat and a cup of coffee and let's chat. Today we're here with Pastor Mark Soudersby. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, Mark, first of all, I think you got a great name. You know, it's my name too. So I'm Mark Soudersby. I'm a pastor up here in Massachusetts. So I'm around Patriot fans or Red Sox fans and Celtics and Bruins. I'm up here on the East Coast. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I think I'm a regular Joe. A blue-collar kind of guy with an extraordinary story of the grace of God in my life. So that's what I like to share. I pastor a, a real church with real people. Not perfect people, but we serve a perfect God. So we're up here in New England serving God, loving Jesus, and trusting in the name of the Lord. Well, I'll forgive you for the whole Boston Red Sox thing. <laughs> I'm a Cubbies fan. So, All right. Um, you've got a book out. I do. And uh, when we're done and I'm doing post-production, I'll put a link to that uh, as well as your website at the bottom of the description. Um, Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the book. Sure. Uh, my book's called Forgiving the Nightmare. I wrote it because of the things that happened in my life. I believe everybody has a nightmare, something that's tried to hold them back, to try to put them down, to... to uh, just have them live in an emptiness and a brokenness. My nightmare was from the ages of 7 to 14, I was horribly abused. My mother would marry a man 20 years her younger, and he would come into our home and he would abuse all of us, but I was the main target of his abuse. He would abuse me emotionally, physically, sexually. He would burn me, stab me, sell me to other men to be burnt, uh, burnt and abused and raped and molested. You know, all the ugliness that happens in abuse. But, you know, not only was the pound of flesh taken from me, but my abuser also took my dignity, my value, my self-respect, and left me with an insecurity and fears that echoed through my life for many years. So I, I know the pain and the sorrow of abuse, and I know the goodness and grace of forgiveness. That's definitely a message uh, with the things that we see in the Catholic Church, all of the old... Uh, uh, things coming up with with the uh, going after the children and things like sure, that sure um at that age did you have anybody that you felt that you could turn to no you know i was seven years old my father wasn't in the picture i was born from an affair so when my father found out my mom conceived uh, he left dodge as they say uh so i was empty i was alone i didn't know how or where to turn I felt everything anybody else would feel. I felt angry. I felt sad. I was mad. I was confused. I wanted revenge. All the things that people would feel. But I think if I summed up my main feeling in those years, and this is looking back, I would say I was empty. I was just purely empty. I, I had nothing. I didn't know where to go. didn't know what to do. But at 14 years old, I, I found my defender. I found my mother's brother. as my uncle. I ran to him. He believed me and he defended me with his actions, his words, his love and his time. So, you know, the abuse stopped at 14. I think for two reasons, I got big enough to fight off my defender and secondly, fight, uh, fight off my abuser. And then secondly, finding somebody that would defend me. Did you uh, today is kind of common for for boys and youth to come out and say, look, this happened to me. Back then, um, there was definitely a stigma, especially with boys, sure. because, you know, no matter what your age is, you're supposed to be tough, be able to fight back. 
How did that stigma affect you personally? Well, I think a couple of things here, Mark, is the first thing I think of is that I think I came from the last generation that these things happened behind closed doors. You know, we people never talked about stuff that happened in the house, which was wrong because there's a lot of abuse happening in the house. But my mom came from a generation that if you didn't talk about it, it didn't happen. So it wasn't talked about inside the house. It wasn't talked about outside the house. It was kind of comfortably ignored. Even something as ugly as abuse was being comfortably ignored. So it was it was just kind of the norm for those years. Today, everything is recorded. We're on cameras, the cell phones, the cameras. But that time and from 1977 to 1984, when I was 7 or 14, it just was kind of comfortably ignored by those who did not have the ability to know how to deal with it. But at 14, again, I, I, I came out to my uncle, if you would not came out. I, I asked for help to my uncle and he start, he rescued me. And then since then, now I'm in my fifties, I've dealt with this and dealt with not only the pain of the past and the wounds of flesh, but also the pains of the psyche and the spirit that, that, that was all wrapped up in that. But yes, I think I dealed with all those things you're talking about. Hey, I'm a guy. I'm supposed to be tough. You know, I'm supposed to fight off my abusers, but I think I was just a kid. You know, I didn't have the mental capacity. I didn't have the physical capacity. I was a kid. And those that were in charge of me, if you would, those that were supposed to protect me, they neglected me. And they, they in their own ignorance and in their own pain, uh, allowed me to be hurt in, in a sense. Yeah, I hear that from from the stories that are coming out with people. Uh, now from back then, because if anybody's been paying attention, the Catholic Church has had this scandal for since the 60s, at least. Sure, sure. Um, did you go through the, the time of striking out of, of, you know, of it, uh, do, yeah. do, doing actions that wouldn't normally be done as, as a sign of, look, something's wrong. Nobody's listening. Maybe if I do this or do that it'll grab the attention of somebody. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, cry for help. You know, I think victims or people that have been through trauma, uh, you know, speak that trauma. Maybe not as defined or as eloquent as, hey, I need help, but that trauma comes out. You know, when you're hurt and you have pain and you're, ne you're not speaking about it in one area of your life, it's coming out in other areas. You're usually uh, harsh to those who love you the most because you're just so confused. So I know exactly what you're asking me. And it's funny, Mark, because my home was so dysfunction. The man who abused me, not only was he a liar, his language was lies. His life was lies. And everything he did was about deception and lies. So he was involved in drugs and alcohol. It was just a, a home full of dysfunction, pain, and sorrow. So in a sense, Mark, I think that's where life was sending me. And if, if I would have went down that road of addiction, if I would have went down that road of, of self-medication or pain or sorrow striking out, I would have looked like everybody else around me. My rebellion was to be good. Now, I hope you can understand that. It doesn't sound like it's, it's a rebellion, right? But everybody around me, my peers, my family, it was, it was the norm to be broken. It was the norm to carry these scars, to strike out, to, to be a messed up, if you would. And I decided early on that I didn't want that. 
So my rebellion was was not any different than anybody else's rebellion, but my rebellion was not to do drugs. My rebellion was not to father children without a wife. You know, that was my rebellion. And again, I am not pointing fingers or blaming or saying good or bad. I'm just saying my my home was so crazy that if I went down that route, route of, of making those poor choices, I would have looked like everybody else. So by not making those poor choices, I looked a little different. And maybe that was my rebellion, if that makes sense. Oh, makes perfect sense. Um, were you able to, up until you got married anyway, were sure. you able to have normal relationships, uh, be around be around father-type figures without, without the pain coming back? Oh, no, there's always triggers. There still are triggers that bring up the pain, the hurt, and the, the memories. And there's still things happen in my life that tries to raise that all up. But yeah, you're right. When I was 14 and, and I, and the abuse ended only a few months later, around 15, about 12 months later, about a year later, I, I went into a church. I went to a youth group and it was the eighties. We had mullets, you know, we were cool. And, and I, and I met, I met my peers. I met uh, the pastor talked in language. I could understand the music was with electric guitars. So I met Jesus Christ at 15, but I still was riddled with pain and insecurity and fear. So now I had my savior, Jesus Christ. I had a faith. I believed God was real, but I didn't have the skills or the capability or the psyche uh, to know how to navigate through that. So yeah, did, did I carry all those pains and unhealthy relationships? Never abusive, but definitely unhealthy because I was not, I did not know how to have a healthy one. I did not know how to be in a healthy system. So yeah, there was a lot of selfishness and, and brokenness and just a lot of pain that I was still walking through because in those years of seven or 14, when you're being raised and your psyche is growing and your social development is growing, I tell people I wasn't raised. I learned to duck. You know, my young years, I learned to duck. I didn't, I wasn't raised. I just learned to protect myself. So I had a good sense of how to protect myself. I didn't have a good sense in how to be a friend or how to be a person of uh, that somebody would want to be a friend. So I had to learn that later on. And, and I had great people help me. I had father figures in the church, not perfect men, but good men. Uh, I had people that would kind of uh, unofficially adopt me and bring me to their table, if you would, and just kind of sow into me some principles of life and integrity. I think that's a main misconception, especially nowadays with the prosperity gospel and the feel-good gospel going around it. Oh, once you get saved, once you ask the Holy Spirit into your life through Christ, then everything's going to be wine and roses. And from my personal experience, I find that when you're trying to get out of certain things, that's when the devil's going to hit you even harder than he did to cause what made you go to God in the first place. Sure. Um, sure. Let me, can I say something about that to you, Mark? I would say that my whole life, you know, even in, I was waiting for this pain to disappear, my past to go away. I was waiting for the day I would wake up and it'd all be gone. But that day has never come and it still hasn't come to today. I still wake up and there's mornings that are better than others. There's memories that raise up. There's lies that try to trap me. The familiar pain tries to come back. The mountain of hurt in my life is still an Everest before me. So I still remember the pound of flesh. And I still remember the, the pound of emotions 
And I still remember how my abuser took so much from me. And I wouldn't be intellectually honest with you if I said I forgot all about that. What happened in my life is though, though the mountain of pain never went away, God became bigger. The mountain of God's grace, the mountain of God's love, the mountains of God's mercy, the mountains of God's spirit, anointing and love, it became bigger than the mountain of all. And I say that knowing how big the mountain of pain and rejection and abuse and lies are. That mountain of rejection and pain is huge. And it casted its shadow over everything I did almost my whole life. But God eventually became bigger. And the mountain of God, the promises of God, the, the love of God now is a greater shadow. It casts its light across everything I do. So does that old man try to come back to those old memories, those old insecurities and fear tries to raise up? Yep. And some days I'm better at them than others. Some days it's one step forward and two steps back. And some days I give in and I get out. And, you know, I, I'm just real, man. But I know that the sum of my past does not identify my future. It's true. I was a victim. But that's not who I am today. I was in a victim to abuse. I was a victim to trauma. And that trauma truly touched me and it affected many things in my life. But I'll say to you, Mark, today, I am not a victim. I am victorious in Jesus. My past does not dictate my future. Let's move on up to you meeting your wife. Yeah. Because you seem like a happily married man, a happy, a happy father. When, when did, at, at what point did you tell her about your well, you know, it's funny because my wife, I've known since she was uh, about 13, 14 years old. She was never on the radar. Let me make that straight. I'm seven years older than her, and she was never on the radar. And then she came home from college, and she went to college a little late. So she came home in her in her late 20s. I was in my early 30s, and as they say, that's a horse of a different color. And we started to grow as friends. We did ministry together. We were involved in the church together. We really didn't have this you know, hubba hubba, you're the girl, I'm the guy, because I was just so messed up. And I realized how much I, I trusted my friend. You know, I'd go in my prayer closet, I would say, hey, Lord, I'm looking for a wife. Here's the things I want. Somebody who loves you, somebody who cares about me, somebody who's, you know, all the things that we ask for. And I felt one day like God said, hello, McFly, you know that girl you trust? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably, so you know, for me, before I even told my wife I love her, before I even saw her in that, in that kind of romantic husband and wife love, I started to trust her. And in that trust, the love started to grow. The relationships. We got a real marriage. Believe me, we got a real marriage. We're real people. We don't always agree. And sometimes we talk about it. We're just real people. But I'll tell you, I trust her and she trusts me. So when did I tell her? Probably right at the beginning because of the trust. I wanted to be so transparent. I wanted to, I messed up so many other things in my life, you know, for a long time because of me being hurt and abused by a man. I just wanted a girlfriend to feel normal, but I didn't know how to be a boyfriend. So, you know, I was like, so it was just not healthy. It wasn't good. Now, never abusive, never in a negative way, but just, I wasn't emotionally 
ready. I wasn't emotionally a good guy in a sense because I was emotionally broken. So I had to realize before I could say I love somebody, I had to say I trust her. And the same thing happened with God. When any of us go through trauma, one of the first casualties of that trauma is we don't trust. We don't trust people. We don't trust church. We don't trust anything. We don't trust that. I might trust my dog, but that's about it, right? But that's the first casualty. And I grew up in a home of lies. I grew up in a home of deception. And when I came to Christ, I didn't want to have man's religion. I didn't want to have man's ways. I really just started to pray to God like I'm talking to you now. I didn't know King James. I didn't know NIV. I just said, God, if you're real. And on that journey, the real God met me. And the real God is where I started to trust him. And now I have a relationship. So yeah, I told her pretty much at the beginning. And she said, okay, we'll get through it. And it wasn't easy. This journey is not easy. It's not a hocus pocus. It wasn't a one day at the altar. I said a prayer, put two bucks on the plate and went home. This has been a journey. David said, I have to walk through. And I think my healing is coming from walking through. Being a parent with your background, do you find that makes you overly protective? Such as, you know, I'm not letting my kids go here. I don't get it. I don't get a good feeling about like this overnight stay or whatever. Does that make you more of a protective parent or just protective in general as most parents would be? I would like to think I'm like most parents, you know, because that's the only, all I know is how I feel. I'd like to think I'm not a hovering parent, but yeah, I am. Of course. I mean, when you have been abused, when you have had these things that have been so life altering, altering, uh, life altering, uh, then then you have to. Of course, you're always aware. You're always kind of have the eyebrow up or the ears out. You know, you you get that vibe, that feeling. So yeah, I think it's probably made me a little bit more hypersensitive or a little bit more cautious. What it's made me is that in my home, it was always don't talk about it. As I said, it was comfortably ignored. So I think in my home, I've said to my kids, hey, we can talk about anything. Has anything made you feel uncomfortable? Has anybody, you know, I've probably gone the other end of the pendulum saying, I want you guys to know there's always an open platform. There's nothing you can say here that's going to reject you or, you know, we're going to deal as a family, as a mom and dad, anything that comes into your life. So probably that comfortably numb that I grew up in to ignore everything, I've swung the pendulum and said, hey, everything's, Uh, anything we could talk about. So that's probably what I've done. But I also know that even before I had children, I was laying this at the altar, if you say. I'm going to pass enough junk down to my kids. We all do, right? We all pass enough. But I didn't want to pass this down. Now, again, I don't mean the physical act. I'm not an abuser, and I thank God. But I didn't want to pass down that low low self-esteem, that insecurity and the fears that I so much wrestled with. And the only way that I could find victory in that is through God and by handing them down a legacy that God is bigger. So have I always done it well? Probably not, but I've always tried to do it. Yes. So yeah, I've I probably swung the pendulum because of my perspectives, I'm sure. One of the things that we see, especially in the justice system, is the the victim mindset. Everybody's a victim. Nobody's accountable for their own actions. And when it comes to these types of crimes, 
uh, being perpetuated by the next generation. The defense is always, well, they were molested and beaten as a child, so you really can't hold them accountable. This is a two-part question. One, did you ever have the urge to go that route? And second of all, do you counsel people that say, look, this happened to me. I understand your background, but I'm starting to have these types of thoughts. I don't want these types of thoughts because I don't want to turn into my abuser. Sure. First of all, let me be very clear. I have never wrestled with the the, uh, ugliness to be an abuser. I want to make that very, very clear. I've never... Uh, sought that I've never looked to that I've never I know the depth of that pain I've always been a victim to it and I know the hurt the lie I've never been even an inkling I, I can't say that enough I could take the next 20 minutes and say there's never been a desire there's never been an inkling there's never been a, a anything in my life that would ever um would ever draw me that way. Probably as a young man, I was exactly opposite. The anger that rised up inside me, I probably desired vengeance against anybody that even, even I thought was those kind of inglings. So, so again, let me make that very clear. No, there's never been that in my life. As far as counseling people, I counsel people as a pastor. Yes. Yeah, sometimes the, the, what they have gone through we cannot ignore that it affects where we go. Now, are there choices and decisions and and parameters and perspectives all involved in that? I believe so. But oftentimes, I am a pastor. So I'm not a clinical psychiatrist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a board certified anything. I am a pastor. I am a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So oftentimes, when we get into those deeper counseling issues, I refer them to those who have the expertise that know how to clinically and how to psychologically uh, deal with those. And I think as a pastor, there's a role for counseling. I think there's a role for psychiatry within the church and within the body of Christ. So if somebody does come to me and say, hey, pastor, I'm wrestling, I'm dealing with, I'm having thoughts of Again, that's a very traumatic moment for all involved, including the pastor. And that's where I probably have to reach out to those who have more clinical and more um, and more ability than I have to find that person help. Um, obviously, if a tragedy has already happened, I'm a mandatory reporter. So I have to report those things. So again, uh, you know, that's a very ugly situation. Uh, but I will say for me, Never had anything like that. Never been tempted in that way. Never desired anything like that. But I I did see myself as a victim for many years. And I let my victimhood really be my excuse for many things. It's true I'm a victim. I was raped for seven years. Uh, And it's true that I was confused and angry. And sometimes people say, well, just pick yourself up by the bootstrap. All you need is a hand up. Well, sometimes it's deeper than that. Uh, when the brokenness goes so far, when the brokenness goes so far in the core, um, then it, it takes a lot more. But if you're willing to do the, go through this journey, and the journey of what I call in my book, forgiving the nightmare, forgiving those broken things. Now let's talk about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. You know, forgiveness isn't forgive and forget. 
Forgiveness isn't mean I let you off the hook. If you've done something criminal to me, just because I forgive you does not mean I don't desire justice. Forgiveness doesn't mean it's not happening daily. Sometimes you have to forgive daily. Forgiveness doesn't mean I don't want to have healthy boundaries. And let me say this, and this is very maybe maybe controversial in some circles, but forgiveness isn't reconciliation. No, forgiveness is not. Reconciliation is a whole nother process. They take two people and process at times. I can forgive those uh, because Christ has told me to, and only through the Word of God and only by the Holy Spirit can I forgive others. But sometimes it doesn't mean I'm going to reconcile because maybe that person's dead and gone. Or maybe, uh, maybe that other person who has abused you or sinned against you hasn't even repented or noticed that they've done it. So reconciliation and forgiveness is really two different subjects. Yeah, I, I, I find that, especially in a lot of the churches today, uh, our churches, like politics has gone from one extreme to the other. It's either you completely allow it or you just completely deny it. So that was definitely a good point because most people will say, well, just forgive them and then don't worry about it. And I'm like, okay, no matter what the issue is, you've had that period of time that you couldn't forget about it. And understandably, when we get to heaven, all that'll be forgotten. But forgiveness is just setting the table for your enemy. And it's generally more for the person that's doing the forgiving so they can start to heal. That's true. Is, that's that, true. is that how you discuss forgiveness? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, you know, I think even though the physical abuse ended at 14, my abuser still had me tethered, if you would, to the past, to the memories, to the poison of the despair. And by forgiving, I was either able to sever those things and become the person God wants me to be. You know, those lies and those pains that so easily snared me, those things that tried to identify me for so long and carried even into the adulthood, even years after my body healed, my mind and my soul was still being tormented by my past, that even then, only through forgiveness of God. Now, what does that mean? Does that, again, I mean, I put you into the hands of Jesus, and God is a righteous judge, and he will judge you in the righteousness of his love. I'm no longer going to do that, and I'm going to put you in the hands of Jesus. That's what I mean by forgiving. <clears throat> Pardon me. Let me just say this. Jacob in the Bible means deceiver. That's what the name means in the Old Testament. And there's a gentleman named Jacob. And the Bible tells us in Genesis that he wrestled with God or an angel. It matters the text you're reading. Wrestled all night long. In the middle of the wrestling match, the angel touched his hip and he took it out of joint. And it caused Jacob great pain. But they kept wrestling. They kept wrestling. And finally, the angel said, hey, the day is coming. Let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So the angel said to him, what's your name? And he had to speak out his name. My name is Jacob. And saying that word, he is saying, my name is deceiver. My name is liar. And the angel said, your name is no longer Jacob, but it's now Israel. 
In the NIV, it says he named the place Israel because he wrestled with God and he wrestled with man and overcame. In a sense, the liar became the overcomer. Sometimes we got to wrestle with flesh. Sometimes we got to wrestle with our past. Sometimes we got to wrestle with the old man. Sometimes we wrestle with God. And sometimes there's a couple sacrifices. There's a couple surrenders. Sometimes there's a limp in it or an ouch, if you would. But at the end of the day, the man who started that match off as the deceiver ended that match as an overcomer. I think our past can really shape us and, and help us see things through our own understanding. But God says, lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledge him. But when you've been, have so much trauma, you see everything coming as another person who's just going to steal, rob, and destroy. But when we wrestle with that past and we're honest with ourselves and we're truthful to God, we might have to wrestle with the old man and maybe we get a, a wound or two or a sacrifice. But as we wrestle and we're honest, for me, God took my name from victim and made it victorious. My victory is not mine. It's the victory that Jesus gave me on the cross of Calvary. What do you hope the people gain from your book? I Well, I hope they find that they're not alone. I think one of the greatest lies, again, that the enemy likes to tell people, no matter what your trauma is today, mine was child abuse, but I'm sure there's people listening today that's been through deaths and, and divorces and addiction and everything else in between. The enemy likes to say you're the only one. He likes to isolate people and let them live in that image of brokenness. You're the only one that's ever gone through this. You're the only one dealing with this kind of addiction. You're the only parent that's ever gone through a child with this kind of issue. You're the only one. And he loves to isolate us so we can live in our own pain and allow those hurts to identify us. But, you know, the Bible calls the enemy a lion. And a lion never attacks the herd. He always attacks the stragglers. So if the enemy can keep us straggling and not run in the herd of grace, then it's easy for him to attack us. So what I hope for people to hear today is that you're not alone. You're not crazy because you're angry. God does not, didn't stop love you, loving you because you're confused. And as you walk through the process of forgiveness and you go through not only the spiritual, but the psychological and the emotional and sometimes the physical act of forgiving, May you know God's with you. You're not alone, and God loves you today. So I've been told my book is inspiring. i told that people find hope in it, and I hope, I've been told it's genuine because I try to be very genuine because I'm not, I grew up in a lie, and I want to be honest. Oh, I'm sure I fail, but what you see is what you get, man. That's all you got here. <laughs> <laughs> but God loves us, and I want people to know God loves them too. Well. Many blessings upon you, your family, and your ministry. Thank this you, Mark. Is definitely a message in today's time that really needs to be heard with everything going on in the world and more scandals against children, especially. Horrible. And Horrible. so I thank you for coming on to the podcast and sharing your story. I hope that it enlightens somebody to whether they seek help from the church or seek help from a psychiatrist or just somebody that they seem to trust. Yeah, same that man. I hope that same they man. do that and they get themselves fixed mentally and spiritually so they can better their life and those around them. Sure, 
Sure, like so I said, there's no that. shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. It's a tough road. Uh, it's filled with tears and struggling and wrestling. But I'll tell you, God's there. And if you want to find out more about me, just go to our website, ForgivingTheNightmare.com, ForgivingTheNightmare.com. And our book's up on Amazon at uh, Amazon Books. Just go to Amazon, look up Forgiving the Nightmare, and you'll find the book. And you can find me at ForgivingTheNightmare.com. Thanks, Mark. Loved having you on the show, and we may ask you back at some point. Oh, I'd be honored. Thank you so much. Uh, let us know that if you uh, you got a second book coming out, something about continuing the journey beyond the book that you have, and we'll be happy to put you back on here. Thank you. God bless you, brother. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Pastor Mark Sowersby. Um, I'm Mark Schaffner, your host. Thank you for coming to the Center Porch. We'll be back again next week. Good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Have a good day.